I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So my next interview was a whole lot of fun. Colin Friesen and I uh, were able to, uh, well, we, we got together online. He was somewhere, I think, in Santa Barbara. He pulled over his car, and we, uh, we had a fun, uh, interesting, and, and I think a, a kind of a meaningful conversation. I can already hear uh, Colin rolling his eyes uh, as I say that, but I really do think it was a meaningful co- conversation about his new film, Sorry for Your Loss, uh, uh, written and directed by Colin and, and starring Bruce Greenwood and a few others that you're going to recognize for sure. In fact, quite a cast. This is a film, obviously, it, well, Sorry for Your Loss. It's about death. It's it's about um, it's about working through a midlife crisis. It's, it's about not, on one hand, it's about not taking life too seriously. It seems to me, on, on another hand, it's it's sort of a comment on the fact that we don't take moments in life seriously enough. It's, it's, um, it's about craft. We, we get into writing. We talk about, we talk about the film business. We, we talk about, um, societal norms and, and why Colin pushes back against those and, and why he does that not only through his writing and through his characters, but probably why he does that as well in, in his, in, in his, uh, you know, in his real, in the real world. And we, we, and really probably most importantly, we do in fact talk about why he is the best Mennonite um, screenwriter in LA. You're going to want to find out why that's important and you are going to want to find out why you should never judge a book by its cover. And here's the, the key moment. And again, we're, we've got Colin rolling his eyes, uh, why the key is in your future. And I say that kind of with a little bit of a sarcastic tone, but but we really do dive in. Sorry for your loss. It's it's coming soon to a theater near you. Actually, it's on iTunes. You can get it there. Going to be available on Crave soon, video on demand. Uh, check it out. A lot of fun. Sorry for your loss with Colin Friesen coming right up. Don't forget davidpecklive.com for more information about my writing and my public speaking. You can buy my book, Real Change is Incremental, there through Amazon. And if you want to get behind face-to-face and support us on a 
on a monthly basis, you can do that through Patreon. Uh, and if you can't do that, uh, leave, leave us a review, please. iTunes or on Spotify. Uh, tell your friends about Face to Face. Forward on our monthly newsletters. Um, sign up for our newsletter. It might be a, actually a really good first start. We're coming up on over 450 interviews uh, with, with a whole lot of interesting fun a whole lot of interesting and fun people doing some pretty amazing things. And don't forget, uh, you can advertise on Face to Face as well. Banner ads on the site. We've got a great social media following now. We are getting, um, you know, we're growing all the time. And if you want to advertise actually on uh, the podcast itself, we can certainly do that as well. And, and of course, I appear on rabble.ca, a place where you can find other writers and podcasters and, and, and people that are, are going a little deeper on the things that matter. Um, stay tuned. Coming right up, Colin Friesen, and sorry for your loss. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by a very special guest with us here today. Uh, we have Colin Friesen on the line to talk about uh, a whole host of things, I, I would imagine. But really, we're going to be focusing on a new film from from Colin called Sorry for Your Loss. Colin, thanks thanks for your time today. I was happy to pull over in the shadow of an auto zone to talk to you for as long as you want to talk to me. And you're sitting in a parking lot somewhere in L.A. or somewhere in California, right? Half, halfway between Palm Springs and Los Angeles. Is it's, it, a, it's a lovely part of the world. It is strip malls for as far as the eye can see. Yeah, no no doubt. Um, um, is there a... Um, I was going to say, is there a Golden Griddle nearby? But that's a pretty Canadian franchise. <laughs> what, what's the what's no, the near? I bet, you tw- I, I, I bet you twenty bucks. I could hit a hit a Hooters from here if I really put my mind to it. Perfect. It's what it's it's what I'm striving for, and and you know. So here's <laughs> go the, big or go home. Go yeah, big or go home. It. Thanks for your time today, Colin. I really appreciate it. So hey, tell me something. Your Twitter handle is it true? Are you really the best Canadian Mennonite screenwriter living in L.A.? You would kind of think so, right? I mean, have you heard of another one who's any better than I am? <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's, it's what Howard Stern did many years ago when he claimed to be the king of all media. And no one said, no, that's crazy or not. They're just like, oh, okay, I guess you're going to be. So here's the thing about living in the States. You learn to take things. <laughs> you know, that, that lovely Canadian deference and politeness gets beaten out of you in about five years. And then you just start being this rabid self-promoter and, saying things and doing things and just desperately trying to get attention. Oh, that's hilarious. Did you just pretty much describe about 80% of Hollywood? (laughs) Well, probably 90, but you know, 10% are in denial. Yeah, I guess. So I'd love to, I'd love to hear a little bit, a little bit about, about your history. You know, obviously every time, every time I have the pleasure of interviewing somebody, I try to do a tiny bit of research, you know, with other films, are there other connections, et cetera. How, pray tell, do you go from, I guess, Winnipeg, uh, one of many Mennonite, um, uh, (laughs) Mennonites from Winnipeg and, and, and wind up writing, movies writing you know screenplays teleplays i guess Shit's creek in your in your background that's 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 pretty cool i'd love to hear more about that as well but yeah how do you go from there to sorry for your loss uh i started off by uh you know i was brought up in a uh a not overtly religious but very socially conscious home and the idea was always that i should do something with my life that you know improve the human experience, I guess. Mm. And so I decided to become a journalist because, you know, that seemed logical and I could help people and tell stories and that sort of thing. Uh, I was a pretty crappy journalist, as it turned out. I had no stomach for, you know, knocking on the doors of, uh, you know, families who had recently lost someone. (laughs) 
but I sort of stumbled around in that career for a little while and made it out to Lethbridge, Alberta, the other L.A., as it turns out, where uh, I made the decision that I was either going to get my master's degree in journalism or go to film school. So I applied to uh, two different schools and, and was accepted in both. And I thought, hmm, Los Angeles, let's, let's see if I can put my modest skills to work down here. So I came down, I managed to stick around. I sold the first movie I wrote, which was called uh, The Big White, which was eventually made with Robin Williams and Holly Hunter in it. And uh, after that, it's like, well, when you sell your first movie, you think you're on your way to Easy Street because they give you a check with a many, many, many zeros in it. And what you don't realize is there's a pretty good chance you're going to end up in what we call movie jail, which is the movie comes out, it doesn't do well. No one wants to talk to you. No one wants to hire you. You are basically in exile, internal exile, I guess you might call it, for as many years as, as that happened. And that's kind of what happened to me. But I managed to stick it out. And, uh, uh, yeah, uh, living in L.A., and I finally decided I was going to try directing uh, one of my own pieces. I had done some short films. I did a short film called Farm Sluts with Fox Searchlight, which was a program they developed to look for young and up-and-coming directors. I, I was neither young nor up-and-coming, but somehow I managed to worm my way into the do, program. Do you, do, you think uh, Let, do you think Lethridge, Alberta, had anything to do with that? I, was, I wasn't run out of town, per se, but I, I did a documentary for the CBC while I was working there about uh, the very first all-Christian TV station. And uh, it was very much, they would just rebroadcast this horrific, diatribal, if that's a word, you know, uh, anti-gay, anti-woman stuff from deep in the States. And, you know, I pointed out that this probably runs in contravention of their CRTC license. Right. Uh, and right after right. I hit the documentary, I was accepted to film school. So I thought, hey, why don't I just go? So I just left town. Uh, and I'm sure they thought that I had been, you know, run out of town on a rail. And now you find yourself uh, making films, writing scripts, and tell me uh, also before we had the the record button on here uh, today, you were you were at the AFI yesterday on a, on a panel, um, waxing poetic, no no doubt. <laughs> yeah, I um, uh, they brought me in because uh, they're always uh, I talked to their foreign students, or I was talking to their foreign students about. Uh, getting an O-1 visa and finding ways to stay in America legally if you want to work in the film business. And it was it was really fascinating. Some lovely other people on the panel, but oh my God, they go on and on and on. And I was just like, you know, make your point and stop talking. <laughs> right. You know, just say what you have to say. Generally, I try to get a laugh and then, okay, now I know I'm done. You know, you always go out on that kind of thing. But uh, as we were talking about before, it, that's also some of the best screenwriting advice I've ever gotten. You know, if your your scene starts as late as humanly possible, and as soon as your scene has done what it is set out to accomplish, that's when your scene is over, and that's when you move on to the mm. next scene. So I guess screenwriting has informed my life, and my life has informed my screenwriting. Mm, interesting. What do you what do you take away from film school? I mean, was that the right call for you? Should you have just packed a bag and gone to LA before film school or, or like, is it, is it well, theory and practice? Is it a bit of the, is it a bit of both coming together? What, what's your take on it today? At the time, there wasn't the glut of information about how to make movies uh, that you can find right now on the internet. Right. And I would say if you're, if you're going to blow, you know, $80,000 over two years, 
go online, read some books, read some magazines, teach yourself and go out and make your first feature. You will learn as much doing that as if you had gone to film school. For me, it was the right call because it also allowed me to get to LA. It allowed me to work here legally for a year. It allowed me to get my O-1 visa because the thing about the Canadian film system is there, the Canadian film system is not a healthy animal. Mm. You know? And for a kid from the prairies at that point to try and break in and go, I want to do movies, I want to do TV, like it would never have happened for me. And say what you will about the United States, but it is much more of a meritocracy, I think, than Canada is. You know, talent will out. And if mm. you're good at what you do, you will eventually be found because there are so many different ways to find you. I, I think in, in Canada, for the most part, it's, you know, it's not quite the old boy system it used to be, but man, there's a, it's a cliquey kind of business uh, when you get right down to it. So, so it really sort of comes down to who you know? Is that? Well, I think you have to live in Toronto or you have to live in Vancouver mm. and you have to have wormed your way into that particular thing. But, like, take our film, Sorry for Your Loss. Um, you know, it was a modestly budgeted uh, independent comedy, right? Uh, a little dark, kind of funny. The reviews, I think, have been reasonably positive. Uh, it seems like the kind of thing that, you know, if, uh, if the Toronto International Film Festival had picked it up, you know, we would have been amplified. It's a Canadian movie. It's made with 90% Canadian talent. But they looked at it and said, yeah, no, it's really funny, but it's just not the kind of movie we program. And I'm like, okay, I get it. So we, we, are, we, are we just going to do Canadian movies that are, that are so on the fringe of different things that that's the only thing that's going to come out of Canada and they're going to have a really limited audience and they're really going to have a really limited you know, uh, possibility of actually making, it, of their, making their money back? Or is there a point at which we kind of have to go, okay, you know, maybe a little mainstream filmmaking is not necessarily the worst thing in the world. Mm. And maybe if we do that, we can build up the Canadian industry so that Canadian movies can actually make money. Because Canadian movies just don't make money. Yeah, it's a, such a challenging industry. It really is. What little I know of it, and, and I'm dipping my foot in the pool here and there with interviews and actually kind of currently working on a, a small documentary myself and learning way more about the industry than I think I kind of wanted to know. What's a little shout out? I, I, I hear, is is the film actually, sorry for your loss, is it going to be on, on Crave? Is that right? Or, or you're still I, sort of... Yeah, it, it should be on Crave if it's not on Crave already. Uh, it will also be video on demand. Uh, it was on Showtime down in the States, which is nice, and it was on the movie channel down here. Uh, we also, uh, Fox International picked up the international distribution for it. So, you know, there were people who saw some some merit in it. So, that you know, that gave me a nice feeling. Yeah, no, that's, that's the that, other thing. Yeah. yeah. You know, when you, because when you're a young boy and you want to work in the movies, you, it's like, I want to go to the States. I don't care about success in Canada. You know, I just want to make it down there. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're rejected in your home country. You're like, well, what the hell, man? Come on. Right. I, I did all this that he loved back home. Even What's the wrong ca- with you? Even the Canadians don't want me. I know. 
So let's talk, let's talk about the film, you know, congratulations. You know, I, I got a huge amount of time and admiration and respect for anyone who finishes, gets the job done. I mean, you got a great cast. It's a, it's a fun film. There's some great comedic moments in it. What, can you talk a little bit about, about sorry for your loss? So clearly it's a road movie of sorts and, uh, um, it's a road movie with a bag of ashes attached to it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the 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 five second pitches. It's a it's a young man, a new father who's very much estranged from his dad. Uh, finds out his father has died. He goes home for the funeral and learns that in order to collect his decent, if somewhat modest, inheritance, uh, he has to fulfill his father's final wishes and sprinkle his ashes on the field of his favorite sports team. Uh, which in our case, and how Canadian is this, was the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. That's I mean, right. come on. It's pretty Winnipeg. So, yeah, so he, he, yeah, he is tasked with doing that, and he hooks up with uh, his dad's uh, former best friend, played by Bruce Greenwood, who is a Canadian treasure, uh, and uh, hijinks ensue, what can I say? So where where does a, where does a story like that come from? And I think it's it's taking us to to a question I want to ask you about you know writing over directing and 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 not maybe the tension between the two, but how you've handled them and and how and where you're hoping your career is going to go. Is it is it is it more about writing? Mm-hmm. Is it do you want to, do you want to sort of start directing more? Did you enjoy that experience? Let's get into that in a second. But I love the sure. the the so so there's some so there's a so. The, you strike me like somebody who has uh, uh, quite an irreverent side to you, and I'm kind of interested in that, <laughs> where and where that came from. Is that is that that dark guilt coming out of your Mennonite background? Is that where that's all coming wow. from? Wow, wow! I don't know where the darkness comes from, like the the dark sense of humor. I just I, I've always found things that shouldn't be funny funny. <laughs> right. So, and like death, yeah. Let's do death. That'll be absolutely terrific. Um, I, you know, I'm sure my therapist, if I had one, and maybe I need one again, would be able to to plumb the depths of that. It's just, I'm I'm a huge fan of irreverence, uh, I, and I'm a big fan of you know sticking your thumb in the eye of mm. whatever societal norms are, uh, be they government, church, or you know current culture things. So. Maybe it maybe that's where it all comes from. I don't know. I just uh I like weird stuff. What can I say? What kind of music did you listen to as a kid? I mean, we're, are we talking about uh KMF first album Rush Fly By Nights, first album vinyl Rush Fly By Night. Uh and then uh you know, uh thanks to CanCon, a lot of CanCon. Right. And uh you know, I had sell albums growing up. 20 original hits, 20 original stars. I used to love those. Uh, but I was never a big music guy. Well, uh, the that, reason that was sort of the reason I ask is, you know, when you said push back against societal norms, my my immediate thought went to, oh, he's a skateboarder. He was, you know, oh, little little KMFDM, little Depeche Mode, little Sex Pistols, you know, Agent Orange, oh, you know, Dead Kennedys. That's 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 what the this is the kind of culture this guy grew up in. No, I, I grew up in a pretty straight-laced, can't-afford-anything kind of culture, you know? Uh, couldn't afford a skateboard. Couldn't afford, wow, okay. you know, a whole lot of albums. There, there, wasn't, there, there wasn't money around to actually invent myself uh, as a teenager. So I think it was 
you know, watching uh, MASH in syndication uh, every night for about eight straight years until I pretty much memorized every episode. That's pretty interesting. You know, like, yes. I, I learned to write, yeah, I, yeah, I learned to wa- write movies and TV by watching just a ton of movies and TV. It's pretty interesting, you know. I've 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 interviewed writers before who have said similar things. You know, they don't talk about you know going going taking English or majoring in 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 history or anthropology to become a better writer. They talk about you know what I read books and I write, and and yeah. Steve, Stephen King in in on writing. I don't know if you've read that book, but it's it's a wonderful wonderful read and it's kind of autobiographical. And then he sort of gets into the actual business of writing, and he basically says write a page every day and you'll have a you'll have a book by the end of the year now easier said than done but there's something about that practice right that just yeah discipline that gets you hopefully (laughs) maybe not always uh but to a better place or at least a place where you've finished uh, you know i find i personally find uh, writing or uh, very difficult i i find it i find it challenging to sit down and say okay today i'm going to write a couple of pages or an, uh, an essay on X. It's, uh, it's, it's, right. it's, I find, I find it pretty challenging. It's, isn't it, isn't it a deep exercise in insecurity? No, writing isn't showing it to people is, <laughs> right. uh, you know, that's, Fair that's enough. when you learn just how, how far you have yet to go. And I have, uh, you know, I've got a circle of people who look at my stuff and, and one of my closest friends is also a TV writer. Uh, he's the first one who looks at anything. And, and we have a rule, which is we have to find something horribly wrong in the first sentence of each other's works. Funny. <laughs> it's just like, what the, you know, giant X on the first page. And then you go, oh, okay, now I know what's coming. You know, and it's sort of, it, it's that first, you know, uh, uh, splash of cold water. So you know what ocean you will be swimming in and what it's going right, to be like. Right. So, you know, if, if you have a good friend who's willing to give you notes and bloody you, Right. In that process, your work will be so much better and you'll be so in such better shape when it goes to someone whose opinion actually counts. It's pretty interesting. You know, I mean, you're talking you're talking about a critic uh, that you can trust, basically. Mm hmm somebody who can actually step into your work you trust them you know they have your best intentions at heart and they're and they're giving you honest feedback honest transparent open authentic feedback. Yeah, and, and the more important thing is to give it to someone who knows what you're trying to accomplish. Mm. You know, because there are people who are like, well, I would have written it this way. And you generally say, well, yeah, but you are not writing this. I'm writing this. Right. You know, it's someone who understands your voice and your mechanics because so much of it is craft. So much of it is, you know, uh, not, the, not the, the genius spark of inspiration, but, you know, making sure your paragraphs don't run on for too long, and, right. you know, uh, things, things of that nature. What, what, what would you say you, I mean, so, I mean, for me, I mean, my background is philosophy. I, I, I've, I've studied, you know, existentialism for years. So I have, some people would probably say, oh, Peck has a little bit of a fascination with the melancholic or not, they might not say death, but certainly the French and the German existentialists were, you know, kind of fascinated by death. Sure. Is that something yeah. that came 
out for you in the writing or when you go back and you watch or you reflect on it? I mean, I can't help but go to the caretaker at the stadium quoting, I had to look up who wrote the poem, but I knew it right away, Mar- Mary Elizabeth <laughs> Fry. And I'm like, whoa, yeah, that, was I, pretty, yeah. that was a pretty interesting turn from, from you know, uh, cracks about narcoleptic cows, which is hysterical, by the way, to, to you know, poetry by Fry. So I'd love to hear your, your, your insight on that, if you have any. Uh, I, it, it, it's interesting. And that, that to me is, uh, I take that as a compliment just because, uh, you know, I had no sense of, you know, that poem did not exist in my brain. The only thing I was trying to do in that moment was take a character who was, you know, somewhat deranged and you think he's exactly this one kind of person and give him a layer of depth that you're not expecting to come from him. And also, hopefully, inform uh, our lead character on his journey. So, our our lunatic uh, uh, our, our lunatic janitor is actually a fairly well read man. Who, you know, his life is books and and all that sort of stuff. And you're like, whoa, where did this come from? And then in the scene, you know, it's like, oh, and the poem's over. Oh, it's not over. Oh, it's still not over. And it's just that, you know, it it if the scene is doing the work it's supposed to uh, you get the, you know, the discomfort of your lead character trying to not offend this man because he needs his help while at the same time wondering how long he's going to have to suffer through this while at the same time, you know, helping him along on his spiritual journey. So when, when you get a scene that's like that, you're like, Oh, okay. I'm, I'm firing on all cylinders here. And generally it works out pretty well. Now, if you can have an entire movie of scenes like that, you're absolutely golden. It's really kind of tough. Yeah, it's it, it's it's a great moment. It's a I, I love the scene because it it really did come come out of nowhere. And those moments for me are yeah. uh, are not only uh, hysterical. You got that lovely sort of like you say that lunatic caretaker who's well read. Yeah. So you got this real paradox. Stephen, yeah, yeah. Stephen McIntyre, uh, a Winnipeg boy who's been in so many things and is just. You know, that's kind of him. We didn't have to dress him up too much. He came to set like that. <laughs> how much, how much, you sound, I, I mentioned this to you before, uh, you've you've got this sort of com, uh, comedic beat, uh, even even in the interview, and, and I hope you take that as a compliment too, but I just, you know, there's some great lines in the film, and, and they, they, don't, they don't strike me as one-offs, but I just wonder, you know, how many of those were sort of ad-libbed? Oh, here, why don't you say this instead of instead of what's written? Like, for instance, Buddy, uh, one of my fave lines in the whole film, Buddy, all cliches are true. It's just science. Like, I mean, where, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a wonderful you know, line. You know, that, that was... That was that was written. Uh, there wasn't a ton of improvising that actually made it into the final film. Interesting. Okay. Uh, my, my my lead actor decided that he was going to try to improvise pretty much everything, uh, and then he would get back to the script. And I'm like, thank you very much for saying the words in the script. And now we're, we'll move on. Uh, I'm sure we use some of his stuff, but. You know, uh, well, the old the old line when you're a director is when you have an actor who's insisting on sort of rewriting his own stuff is, hey, try it the way it is in the script, and then we'll try it your way, and then when we get into editing, I'll pick the best one, and, you know, you'll have had a chance, and I'll have had a chance, and we'll go from there. Now, Samuel L. Jackson, uh, that was put to him a while back when he, he is notorious for just saying what he wants on set. And uh, a director said it to him, and he said, screw you, except he didn't say screw you. 
Uh, he said, if, if you do that, you're just going to use yours all the time. If I only give you what I want you to have, that's all you're going to have. And I know it'll end up in the movie. So, you know, d- directing is, is, you know, herding cats with a cattle prod. It's just, you know, one thing running off in one direction after the other, and you just trying to keep it together. I, I compared it to surfing a, uh, a tsunami wave. Mm. You know, you're probably going to get up and you're going to stay up and you're not going to stay up till the end, right? You're going right, to get rolled. Right. And eventually the movie right. just sort of takes over and it becomes its own animal and you just hang on until the very end. So, Jeff, the main character near the end of the film, and I wonder if this is you just sort of, you know, raging against the machine. There was another 80s band I should have uh, mentioned uh, uh, when I was talking there about you skate- skateboarding. Yeah. You know, when you talked about pushing back against societal norms, doesn't Jeff say something about one of his friends says something like, uh, I think they're on the phone and he says, you know, sorry for your last pause. Is that what I'm supposed to say? And, and Jeff's like, yeah, that's about <laughs> what all people say. I mean, are you, yeah. were you kind of riffing off your own experience at that point? Because I kind of, I kind of smiled at that, but yet at the same time kind of went, ow, that, that hurts a little bit. Cause you know, is yeah. that, is that really the best we can do? Oh, I'm sorry for your loss. That is, uh, that is what people say. My wife lost her father uh, a little while ago, and a, a really good friend of mine lost his uh, lost his mom. And you know, so I, I was sort of surrounded by you know dealing with people dealing with death, and it's like I said, I don't know what to say, and it's like you just say you're sorry for your loss because there is nothing you can say. Mm. Nothing is going to make you feel better, and you don't want to try too hard in that moment because you end up making it about you. And that's the worst thing. That's even worse than just, you know, being sort of throwing off these cliche kind of lines. But it's interesting. My, my wife's, uh, my wife's father, uh, he was actually the inspiration for the, for the dad in this movie, because many years ago we went to his house and he had been divorced for many, many years. And I had never met him before. And we walked into his house and in the living room of a split level bungalow, there was a TV a recliner, a weight bench, and a drill press, <laughs> and that was all. <laughs> the, and I'm like, the house what of a the serial hell killer. Is drill press doing, <laughs> yeah, and, and that was it. And she was like, I don't know. He's been single for so long; it doesn't even matter anymore. Oh, that's so. When I started so writing funny. this, I'm like, okay, you know, what do what do men of a certain age end up accumulating? And you know, what do their lives look like when there's no one around to be in their life to sort of pull them towards? you know, a, a better version of society, I guess. Well, you know, and listen, I don't want to, I don't want to go too, too philosophical or existential on you. This is a, a, a comedy, but you know what? It's, it's a dark comedy. I think, I think great stories always have something to say about um, the human condition. And to me, you know, this is a guy who didn't know his dad, who, whose dad had a drill press in his living room. What the, what is going on with that? And, and, and where oh. did those two, where, where did that go sideways? You know, and, and, and we get some of those indications and we, we, we learn a little bit about him, about his past and his golf habits and his friend, you know, the Bruce Greenwood's brilliant by the way in it. He's so much yeah. fun. He's yeah, so much he's fun so to watch. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And for me, there's, there's, there was a sadness as well that was kind of underlying Jeff's character, even though he was dealing with it, you know, through comedy and through sarcasm, this is a guy who still never yeah. really got to know his dad. Right. And, and the lesson at the end of the movie was you never will. 
celebrate. You know, you think there's some magic answer for why you and your dad don't get along. Well, there may be reasons, but you're never going to know. And that was one of the things that's kind of why I wanted to make this movie. It's like there was a version of the script way, way back where at the end of it all, he's like, oh, now I understand. He really did love me after all. Mm. And he just couldn't say it because he was a complicated man. And I looked at that and I'm like, no, that's just bullshit. Sorry, life is darker than that. People die. You don't know why they died. You don't know if they really cared about you. And you just have to move on and live your the best life possible for you. Which is why at the end, uh, when um, Justin and Bruce are having their little, their final conversation, it's like you wanted to know about them. You know all you need to know about them. You know, just you have to be the better person. You know you shouldn't be like him. And sometimes that's the only lesson you get to take forward. So that was my, you know, that was my profound. If it's a message movie, it's like the message is get over yourself. <laughs> right. Get over yourself. Which, by the way, is a very, a very Canadian Mennonite thing. Like, you know, oh, you hurt yourself? Walk it off. Oh, you lost an arm? Tuck it under the other arm and walk to the hospital. Right. Oh, or do you want to come home? Yeah, you know? grow, grow And that's why. Grow, that, grow up. Yeah, there's, face there's face the music. Yeah, there's a line in there that Lolita Davidovich has about, you know, uh, I think it's uh, my uncle lost his foot in a thresher once, never made a peep. Like, that's, yes. that's the value. Right. Oh, he's a good man because he didn't cry when he got a limb cut off. And so, you know, you go, OK, if you're brought up in that sort of scenario, you get closed off. And it's like, how do you open yourself up? How um, as a writer, how you know, you've 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 had quite a broad career and, and I'd love to hear about what's what's coming up for you. But but how do you as a writer? Um, hmm. Maybe you don't. Where, where does autobiography come in? How much of your life, you know, the drill press was right out of your life. Uh, is that is yeah. that an easy question to answer or not so much? Every, every, everything comes out of your life. Every character you write is a version of yourself as far as I'm concerned. You know, you can, you can do your best to put yourself in the shoes of somebody else. But at the end of the day, it's all coming out of your brain. So how could it be anyone else by that point? Yeah, no, that's interesting. Every every character you write is a version of your of yourself. There's there's a there's a philosophical notion to to pursue, or at least if not philosophical, psychological. That's for sure. Um, do you do you find yeah. writing do you find writing therapeutic, Colin? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> writing is a job. Therapy. Fuck off. Pardon me. Yeah, no. no. It... <laughs> Maybe it is for some people. I'm sorry. If it is, great. If you write in a journal, then great. But, you know, this is a job, and your job is to be fun and creative and mm. put something together that someone actually wants to look at. Someone yeah. will pay money for it. Yeah. You know? That yeah. ain't therapy, man. No, absolutely not. Not for me. Not not for you. Do you think Do you think you might at some point look back and go, hmm? Okay, now 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 I see the therapeutic value in the writing that I did. No, you're gonna. See, I'm gonna look back and go, oh yeah, that's where I was at that time. Right. Yes. Right? Sure. So that's what I was thinking. You know, like uh, the stuff I used to write and the stuff I write now is like, okay, you know, I'm a little older, a little wiser, a little more cynical, a little more, right. you know, uh, you know. Uh, wearing his heart on his sleeve, you know, you can trace your evolution through right. the stuff that you put out there. Yeah, you can see the intention of it. Well, you know what's interesting? Yeah. You know, you make the comment about cynical, and yeah, there's a dark edge to the film, but there's also 
I, I mean, I think there's, I think the film ultimately is rooted in relationship and rooted in family. I don't know if you agree with me on that or not, but you know. Oh he, yeah. He, yeah, it's all about it's, it's yeah, it's all about him being able to be a father to his son mm. and being able for him to learn how to be a husband to his wife in this scenario where you know uh, all the fun stuff he used to do is gone. Right. 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 <laughs> He's a dad, his wife is covered in puke, and they never have sex. And I'm not saying men are, are idiot beasts who only want to eat and bone, but men are idiot beasts who only want to eat and bone sometimes. So, you know, it's, and he's looking at his life going, holy crap, here I go. Why do I not feel this wonderful bond with my son? And then, we, then it kind of makes sense, hopefully, because, oh, his father was a horrible father. So, you know, he's worried about that. And I don't want to go too far down into that particular well, because that to me is boring, right? Mm. But, you know, to have him go on this journey where someone who doesn't know that much about his dad really tries to find out. And the, the lesson at the end, as we said, is it's not all that important. You know, I love the, never, uh, the key isn't in the past. The key is in the future. The key is in the future. There you go. That's the soundbite. Oh, yeah. and by the way, I, I, no, no, that was a stupid thing to say. <laughs> just forget that. I was <laughs> just really freezing. That's, that's Eventually you say something idiotic. That's funny. No, that's a line we could put on a t-shirt. I think we could sell it and it would make us both rich beyond our wildest dreams. Colin, I'm convinced. It'll be the title of my film that gets. That gets into Tim. Uh, it's, I'm I'm convinced yeah. of it. I love the opening scene to the film, by the way. Uh, the the you know getting into who hasn't been there, who's in a family, who has a husband, wife, partner, family, whatever. You're standing in line. Your arms are full. You just want to get home, and the phone call comes in. Hey, can you go and get me? Um, you know X, yeah. Y, or Z. It was uh, anyway very very funny moment. So so Colin, tell me. Sadly, we're going to have to come. Uh, we're wrapping up here in a, in a couple minutes. Um, what's what's next for you um i mean we we barely talked about bruce we didn't even talk about robin williams i'd love to hear about that too but what's what's next uh you know there's always something else coming up uh i've got i'm uh, currently adapting a comic book which will hopefully turn into a tv series uh which is really completely out of my wheelhouse uh i'm i wrote a show that uh, ifc picked up and then uh, it's now with AMC Studios. So this is real inside baseball stuff. We're looking for a home for it. Mm. And uh, I was doing something else. What the heck else was I doing? The comic book thing and the, that thing. And uh, it'll come to me. At well, you're, hang- you're, you're also spend- you're spending a fair bit of time on, on, on boring panels by the sounds of it. <laughs> I'm still, and I'm doing stuff for National Public Radio down here, which is always, uh, you know, a certain amount of nerd cred right. uh, in the circles I run in. So that's fun. I just did a piece about why uh, faith-based movies are generally awful, uh, which was fun to put together. Oh, I and uh, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, I've I've finished another uh, uh, spec script, as they say, which is one no one's paid for, and I. Uh, I, I kind of want to see if uh, if there's room to do that. It's a uh, it started mm. off as a very traditional romantic comedy, and then I went, okay, how come I'm just putting like you know uh, cis het people in this thing? So now it's a bisexual woman and a lesbian woman and a uh, a horrible heterosexual man, and that's the love triangle. So I'm going to see if that'll work for me. It's a pretty fascinating world to live in, it seems to me, and I w- I really do wish you wish you well with it. That 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 whole 
just stepping into a whole world that's unknown as a writer. I think it's pretty cool, pretty fascinating. And I trust that you will continue to be known as, you know, the best Canadian Mennonite <laughs> screenwriter living in L.A. <laughs> Look at been... you, taking a thing from the beginning and using it at the end. See, that's screenwriting 101 there right you... there. It's like, oh, yeah, the, the MacGuffin at the beginning is the thing that wasn't the thing at the end. <laughs> tying, oh, yeah. tying up the loose ends, man. Because as we know, as Colin, oh, as Colin, as Colin Friesen says, the key is in the future. Um, oh, hey, man. I'm going to... I eye out if I hear you say that. That's right. <laughs> really, really had a, had a lot of fun chatting today. I pre- appreciate your time. We've been talking to Colin Friesen, uh, having some fun all the way from uh, somewhere uh, in some parking lot in California, talking to Colin Friesen about his new film, Sorry for Your Loss. Colin, thanks so much for your time today. Really appreciate it, man. Thank you, too, my friend. Best of luck, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again when the next one comes in. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks a so bunch. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.